Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. Look, I just need to hire someone to do work so we can get this product out the door. Said Peter, a CEO of a newly funded startup. Besides, there's no way to really know if somebody fits into the company until you experience working together. This is not true at all. Your interview process, when properly structured, will give you the evidence to support making the right hire each and every time. Because as we all know, one bad hire can destroy your company. Today, we're talking about the power of digging deep on the right questions and utilizing AI to get your conclusions. I'm Rick Gerard and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We share insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, disruptors, and industry experts like our guest today, Mr. Scott Sandland. He is the founder and CEO of Serrano? Cyrano. Cyrano AI. You've said that to me eight times and I told you I was going to botch up. That's all right. <laughs> that, that is the other variation of our name we get a lot. Cyrano.ai. Scott is the former world's youngest hypnotherapist. A few companies and a few decades later, he is the CEO of a company focusing on artificial empathy and strategic linguistics. As a former executive director and CEO of a mental health clinic and longtime technologist, he has experience leading purpose-driven organizations and has been published in numerous peer-reviewed journals, Psychology Today, Forbes, and Entrepreneurial Magazine, which is what makes Scott the perfect expert for today's topic. Scott, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. We're going to discuss a couple things. We're going to talk about getting to the truth of who a person is, especially in your video interviews, because a lot of companies today are having challenges with video interviews and getting the right data out of them. And we're going to talk about how to leverage AI to confirm your hiring decisions. Sound like a plan? Yep. So I find today companies have an interview process that's really no better than a coin toss. And there's no process. It's fairly shallow. They ask common questions that people are used to getting, and it's centered in around how can you help me? It doesn't really have anything to do with how can you help that person? It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not that person even fits your cultural values at all. It's just what skills do you bring to the table and how can you get it done? Yeah. So you're looking at like a checklist of which things you want to have happen. And you know the person you're interviewing is obviously on guard and putting on a show and trying to be their best version of themselves. But it's difficult for a person, unless they're really putting in the effort, to dig deeper in terms of the culture fit and the soft skills fit that that person's going to bring to the job, which really makes the difference on if they're a good hire or not. That's true. And I find a lot of companies just don't know what the culture is. Sure. Especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're a startup and you're trying to get work out the door, you have no idea. So when I was the CEO of a mental health clinic, the Newport Clinic, it's over by Newport Harbor High School. And we were doing a lot with at-risk teens and stuff like that and in drug rehab centers. And we started during Obamacare, during that rollout, when all of a sudden there was a ton of money in healthcare. And all of a sudden there was just this flood of people needing help that could now afford it. So we were hiring as fast as we could. And that meant we were looking at residents amazing checklists. I said, okay, this is a person who's an MFT. We need a marriage and family therapist. This is a person who's a LCSW. We need one of those. And they'd come in, we talked to them for a few minutes and we'd hire them. And sometimes it worked out great. And other times, two weeks in, we were like, oh, this is the worst decision. And how can we just schedule this person's hours away from my hours, which are most of the hours for the clinic. <laughs> so it's real easy, especially when traction is kicking off and people are excited and busy. It's real easy to just say, oh, anybody with the the skills is good enough. We just need someone who can do the job. That doesn't work. No, no, it doesn't work at all. If it does work, it's because you got lucky. Totally. 
That's it. Yeah. What was your pain point that you realized, hey, look, there's a little bit more to this than meets the eye? So when I was doing that job, I was hiring therapists. And it was everywhere from psychotherapist to life coach, everywhere in between. And like I said, the soft skills were more important. Their ability to just connect with the clients and work on a team were way more important than their certifications and licensures. Say that again, because that's sure. really that's really an important point. It was less about how much training they had, less about which credentials they had, and much more about how they fit and how well they could relate to the clients. We had a person that we hired who was on paper. She had a ton of boxes checked. She's an intelligent woman. She's very talented. And I set her up, gave her three clients the first day, and she bombed all three clients. All three clients said, we want our money back and we're never coming back. Wow. And she's a qualified person. She just did not connect with our customers even remotely. And you just go, okay, well, there it is. Were you able to capture any of them back at least? Those three clients walked and never came back. That can destroy your business. One bad hire. Imagine if you lined her up with 10 that day. And they were influential. Like I think back to the amount of money I lost that morning before lunch. It was so much money for a startup clinic that was bootstrapped and to have those three people, because one of them was absolutely a local influential person. And if she had hit it out of the park, we would have had our phone ringing for 20 more sessions by the end of the day. And instead crickets. And this ties around to why this is important to your company. Why should me as a startup founder, why should I care about this really? I just have work that I need to get done. Because ultimately hiring the wrong person that checks the boxes, again, just going back to that, a person who's qualified but doesn't work for the company costs the company so many cycles and so much stress and so much inefficiency. That rapport and that team work is critical. And I'm a big sports guy. I'm a big teams guy. And so you can see that often in sports where a guy gets traded to the wrong team or gets drafted by the wrong team and he just doesn't fit culturally in the locker room and how big a problem that can be for an entire organization. Sports, you keep score. You know if the guy's good or not. The ball went in the basket every time or he scored three touchdowns. He's good. But when a guy doesn't fit on a team, I mean, this just happened in the NBA last season where they traded Jimmy Butler to the Heat and they said, this guy's no good. This guy's no good. They traded him to the Heat and he was in the NBA finals that season. And he just said, I found the team that wants to win as much as I do. That's it. Where it gets dangerous too is that a lot of job seekers are desperate for a job, unfortunately. And so you're not always getting the truth out of the interview process. So if you're running a typical get to know you interview process where you go have lunch, you're getting the best self, especially if you're not digging deep enough with interview questions or doing what we're going to talk about in a few minutes, confirming or gaining insight into who that person really is, you're no better than a corn toss. And if you ask an applicant, why do you want to work for our company? The true answer is because I have a mortgage to pay. Ideally, they want to work at a place where they're going to fit, but they want to get paid. They want to be employed. And so their hierarchy of needs, they'll say, I want a job. And then once I have a job, I want a good job where I fit. So if that person's already employed in a place and is making an upgrade, they're going to maybe be more honest about who they are and what they're looking for and where that fit's going to be. But if they don't have a good job right now, their incentives are aligned for them to just try to be what they think you want rather than try to be who they really are. If you look at people who are even in jobs, but they're unhappy at that job, they're not necessarily always honest as well. You have a little bit of that challenge as well. You have to get past that. You have to get under the hood to understand who the person is. Yeah. 
and why this is important too. Ultimately, there are people who are career-minded. Keeping their eye off the salary ball as long as you can might be beneficial to you as opposed to focusing in on that as a qualifier. That should be what they do. And when they do that, that's great. Too often they don't. Us as interviewers, it's our responsibility to do that, to lead them down that path. Sure. Because if I understand you and what's important to you outside of the money, then I can really make an assessment of whether or not you're a good fit for my organization. Yeah. Yeah. And And I'm a good fit for you. Right. And that was another thing that happened at the clinic a lot was my clinical director, his management style and my management style were very different. And so there were certain people where one of us would just be totally hands off because we knew that oh, if I manage this person, these are the outcomes that we don't want that are totally avoidable if we just have Richard manage that person and vice versa. So so knowing that person and knowing yourself means not just when you're hiring them, also when you're picking who you're going to hire, you have a strategy of, oh, this person will work well under this manager where this space is, not just culturally in the whole corporation, but in the specific role with the specific team they're going to be on. All right, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Check out higherpowerradio.com. There you'll find additional content and resources to help you land great hires. Our guest today is Scott Sandland. He's the founder and CEO of Cyrano. It's like Cyrano de Bergerac. I want to say Cryano. I don't know why, but apparently I can't read today. That's all right. Cyrano AI. And we're discussing why it's important, number one, to get to the truth of a person on the video interview. Now let's talk about video interviews, because now you're in a situation where you're adding another layer on top of the fact that you can't see somebody in an environment. Gosh, the possibility if you conduct a normal interview and you can't really read body language or somebody's hiding that because you're only seeing from here up. Sure. It's going to highly elevate the possibility that you're going to probably make a bad hire. It increases the risk there a lot because you can't read the room the same way. When two people are in a room, there's just a whole bunch of subjective things that humans have evolved to be good at assessing for survival. It's there via, call it Zoom. So you're now interacting with a screen, but you're also staring at the camera. You're doing this thing where you're looking back and forth at their face and then at the little dot on the top of your laptop. You're doing this constantly and you're seeing yourself. So now there's all these layers of distraction that you don't normally have in a face-to-face interview. Because when I do a Zoom session, I'm like, oh, that's what everyone sees in my background. That's the back of my room. Oh, that's my haircut. Oh, that's my whatever. And so I'm seeing myself, which I normally don't do when I'm conversing with people. And so there's just all these layers that make it more difficult to do a good job of understanding and getting to know a person virtually. Yeah. Tons of distractions. Yeah. That makes it that much harder. So let's talk a little bit about your product. So what do you guys do? Yeah. What we do is we analyze words. We analyze words and phrases in context that allow us to understand a person. We create psychographic profiles on a person. So that means we understand their current mental state, which means not sentence analysis, not like, are they in a good mood or in a bad mood? We understand this person is being logical. This person is being driven by problems and solving needs. This person is driven by X, Y, and Z. We can measure that and then we can measure their priorities. So this person is ego and instinct centric. This person is data and process centric, etc. And a bunch of other things. And this is based off reading their social profile. This is based off- Or resume. Yeah, it could be their resume. It could be a Zoom conversation. So right now we're in Zoom and you can just do a Zoom call like you normally would. And our 
assistant will take that Zoom call and run a report on everybody who was on the call and talk about what it would take to have both the people on the call work well together. So it's, here's this person, here are their priorities, here's how committed they are, and here's the next steps you should have with this person. If you want to work with them, how to get the most out of them. I find that more valuable than an assessment. I'm not a big fan of most assessments because I feel like most companies lean on that as the main decision-making tool. Yeah. And that's only meant to be a confirmation tool, right? And to confirm the, whatever your judgment of that person might be. Sure. And there's DISC and Myers-Briggs and any of those things. They're fine with the caveat that you aren't one person. Who you are is very context dependent. Who you are with your kid is very different than who you are with a customer or a client or a coworker. The the role you're in and the scenario shifts that. So if we can say, not who were they when they were filling out a multiple choice test, because that's not that relevant. I want to know what they're like when they're having business conversations. And so our system captures that in real time. Yeah. I've taken a lot of those tests and I find that they give you two or three choices of words and you pick the most relevant ones. I could fudge that. Yeah. However, I think that that company wants, they're cheatable. They're totally cheatable. Either one of us could take the test and they say, hey, I want you to come out with this result. And if you took it two or three times, you'd be able to do that. And you could just get the result you want to get and not be honest. And so the nice thing about our system is it just runs in the background of a Zoom conversation. So there's no UX, there's no anything that's going to distract you. It just listens and it takes the whole thing and turns that into information so that you as the host or interviewer or whatever word we want to use, you now have more objective information to make the right decision with. If we want to build a process into our company and we're going to utilize a strong interview process and then layer in tools like Cyrano or another tool on top of it, where do we start? What are the first steps or how do we put this into play for the organization? So the first thing to do is measure the people in the organization and understand really what that landscape is. And that's easy because you're having internal calls. So you just run the system during internal calls and you get that. And then you figure out in the role you're hiring for what that needs. Let's back up. What I'm hearing is that you have to understand yourself and your team first. Totally. And then build these out into your values. Yeah, they really are. When you think about your brand, why your company exists and what your brand identity is to see, especially in startups, the company's brand identity is really an extension of the CEO or founder's identity. And that makes sense. But as the company grows, it is reasonable to assume that that can change. And so all of a sudden you bring in a couple key hires that are leading a division of the company and they might be, they likely are different with different personalities and priorities. And so recognizing the subculture that they've created in their department or just the leadership of the organization as individuals, what they prioritize and how they think through a process. Like I said, ego versus data. As an yeah. Example. So they essentially are adding to the culture or they're injecting their own values into that culture yeah. as well. So then you have to keep that cultural value system up to date and you have to work on it and go, Hey, are these really our corporate values? Yeah. Now, first it was mine, but now I've added four executives around me. Right. So we need to sit down and guys, it doesn't take very long to do that. No. It takes half a day. And it's totally worth doing. Because you wouldn't want to hire clones of yourself. You would want a diverse team that reinforces each other. God, I see so many organizations, though, unfortunately, that are command and control, and they just want people who can come in and do the work. Right. And they do hire yes men and <laughs> clones of themselves and people who aren't set up for success. Mm -hmm. If that's what your organization is, 
that's fine, but you really need to look deep into whether or not you want to grow the company and innovation spurs. Yeah. And if you're a legacy company with a bunch of big contracts that exist and you just don't want anyone to rock the boat, make sure you just create copy paste, rinse and repeat. But especially don't if expect you're- to grow though. Yeah. If you're looking for opportunities to be innovative, to be disruptive, to have healthy debates in an organization, making sure you're hiring people who approach the same problem from different perspectives is critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've analyzed ourselves. We have an idea of who we are and who our team is. What do you do next? You profile the people that you want to hire? Yeah. So assuming you're hiring a person for a role that already exists and is already filled, and so you're either adding a person or backfilling or something like that, you could profile that person and say, okay, we have John in this sales job. And John has this sort of graph and these sort of uh, archetypal features. Do we want another John because he's doing great? Or do we want a person who has more XYZ? And you could just really look at that sort of philosophically and say, what is it that makes John great at his job? And do we want- But how do you know? What you might want may not be the best thing for the company. Sure. And that is a challenge no matter what. So all we're doing is giving you data and saying, look, these are the things that John is good at. And because he's good at these things, here's what he's going to do when he's stressed. Here's what he's going to do when he's being creative. Here's how he works well on a team. Here's a handful of scenarios. And so we can say, we really like the way that John does all these things. But if we could have a person who's different in this area, that would really round out our team more. Now, ultimately that might not be correct. That might be a wrong strategy, but at least you're making a strategy based on data. Yeah. If you're tying it back to your core company values as well, people can work differently and approach things from different angles. Diversity is great because when you have people from different viewpoints coming together, they're going to challenge each other. Yeah. As long as they're sticking with the corporate values, they're holding those truth when they're decision-making, then it puts you in a strong position. And part of respecting someone or some organization is understanding how to work together when you don't agree. And just saying, look, I know this is Rick and Rick's going to do things this way. And that's great because there's all these upsides to it. It's not the way I would do things, but I trust Rick to do it because he's earned that over the course of X, Y, and Z this time together. So when you think about that, you say, I don't need a clone of me and I don't need a clone of Rick. Maybe I need a hybrid of both of us, or maybe I just need someone who's going to get along really well with Rick because this guy's going to be reporting to Rick anyway. And I, as the CEO, am comfortable saying we need to grow an organization beyond just stuff that works with me. Moving on from that, then we're talking about what, creating a interview process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're doing this right now. We're doing a pilot with a large commercial retailer and they're using our system right now in a pretty big hiring process where they've got so many applicants. What they're actually looking at is they're using some software that they create pre-scripted questions and then the applicant just gives their answer into a webcam and just records a couple minute videos on each answer. And that's the first screening process. See, I don't like that. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't like that because a lot of people aren't comfortable being in front of a camera. We're, totally. we're more of it. We're more used to it now because of Zoom. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you're talking to a camera and there's no interaction from another person, you're just answering questions. Right. It's not accurate. And the idea of just looking at a camera and, and talking, talking into a light or a camera and trying to be emotive, that's a trained skill. You have to get good at that. And most people aren't trained for that. No. And most people who are good at the job you want them to be good at are good at the other job instead of that. 
Exactly. We need to create a custom interview process. So mm -hmm. what does that need to look like? Yeah. So you could take their resume, you could take their LinkedIn profile, you could take any of that and run it through our system with a button click. And then you're getting a profile on that person, a thumbnail sketch. And then that could help inform you on what kinds of questions you want to ask this person about. And you could say, okay, based on their employment history and based on these psychographics, it's easy to start creating interesting insights and questions based on the combination of those things. But it also helps you build a short list of people who you think are going to be on target rather than throwing shit at a wall and hoping something sticks, yep. which is what most hiring processes are. Yeah. You're targeting and then going after those people that you think are going to be the most accurate. And it doesn't matter where they come from. If somebody comes from a job board or something like that, it doesn't matter. There's an argument for and against high throughput interviewing. Yeah. And there are some people who really want to do that and just law of large numbers kind of thing. Yeah. But, I want I want to see 50 candidates for this role. Right. Oh God, that drives me. There's so no what, point in it. What else are you going to do this week yeah. besides see those 50 candidates. And by the way, how are you going to remember the difference between applicant 14 and 39? Those are going to start to blur real fast. So you ate up a week or more and it's difficult to remember who you liked more anyway. And sometimes you'll pass on people that will end up taking a job in the process before you've had a chance to get to yeah. it. Yeah. So you're like, hey, you were the third person we hired. We should have just hired you. We had to do the 50 because we said we would, but we want you. Yeah. And they were like, well, too bad. I'm already working down the street. Then you create a situation where it's completely a transactional scenario. They're not joining you because they want to join you. They're joining you because of the monetary compensation. And now they're not joining you because they feel wanted and special and just, Hey, you were the best we found. We didn't say, we didn't offer you the job quickly because we still talked to 47 other people, but eventually we got back around to you. That's not fun to go through when you're the applicant and that doesn't create the momentum you're looking for. I truly believe that when you create an interview process, you tie the interview questions to your corporate values. Okay. So if I'm bringing in somebody, I'll assign interviewer number one, these four questions, and you don't need any more than four questions. I don't need to sit there and grill somebody and shotgun 20 questions off. Just train somebody how to ask three to four questions and dig under the hood on those. Mm -hmm. And then what you're going to do is evaluate that person against your core value. Build in a knockout question. Build in a question that basically, if that person is completely unaligned with your core values, thank them for their time and release them from the process. And then you're creating this, an interview system where based on the data that we got, our pre-screen or what have yep. you, and then based on our interview, we have evidence to support either moving forward or not making the hire. And a fast no is usually better for both parties. Absolutely. Right? With rare exceptions, getting a fast no is way better than a we'll see. Because then that applicant gets to move on to places where they are a fit instead of well, most sitting and looking at their do phone. do not even get a no. They just get ghosted. Yes. If you talk to... Applicants, their number one complaint. I sent my resume in. I talked to them. We did a phone screen. Haven't heard anything. Pretty yeah. Yeah. And what does that do for your employer brand? Absolutely crushes it. It's so easy to say, hey, we're going in a different direction. Wish you luck. It's not that difficult to have a conversation with a person. And most people, if you have that conversation, they'll self-select out anyway. We've all been on a first date that didn't go well. My wife and I met on Match.com and we both went on a lot of dates before we found each other. And one of my favorite Match.com dates didn't make it to appetizers. Like <laughs> this girl and I, we were kids. We sat down, we were talking and we're like, hey, how's Match going for you? How's it going for you? You. We talked, waiter came by, got drinks. He came back and said, hey, can I get some appetizers? And she and I looked at each other and both simultaneously were like, no, we don't need appetizers. And I looked at her and I said, I'll take care of this. And she said, thank you. I hope it goes well for you. I was like, I hope it goes well for you. And she walked away. And that's one of my favorite dates I've ever been on because it was so equal that we were 
struggled, like this isn't the right fit, whatever it is. She was a fine person, I'm sure, but we just knew it wasn't going to work. And so we both walked away and were able to save the rest of our evening. God, you know what? That's how you should approach your interview if you're interviewing. Yeah. That's how you should approach your interview if you're the candidate looking for a job. So the last thing we do, we hire, right? Yeah. The key to it is when we hire the person using our software, we already touched on this. The idea is then you know how to manage that person. You know what to look for in quarterly reviews. You know what to do in all of that work so that it's not just the recruiting. There's a long tail of value and benefit. Perfect. So what would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into their business today? If they're looking to hire people or if they're looking to connect with customers, either way, people like people that are like themselves. So you're going to be biased to generate an echo chamber. So you need to know what you have and to recognize that just because someone's similar to you, that doesn't mean it's good. That's the main one. Yeah. It most likely won't. Right. And to find you don't want clones of yourself. And to find tools, but not exclusively ours, that allows you to externalize that process. So you can actually show your work. And the more you show your work, the easier it is to find flaws and better ways to do things. And constantly improve what you're doing. All right. We're just about out of time for today's show. Scott, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which uh, members of our audience can reach you? Two. One is our website, which is Cyrano.ai. And the other one Spell is C-Y-R-A-N-O. So it's like Cyrano de Bergerac, the guy with the big nose who was good at writing poems. It's a Steve <laughs> Martin movie. Cyrano, C-Y-R-A-N-O dot A-I, or find me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to talk. All right. Well, I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. After all, this show's for you and we're trying to constantly improve our content. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O dot com, or you can drop me an email at ricketstridesearch.com. Tune in next week. Our guest is going to be Tim Spike. He is the founder and president of the Aperio. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success, Rick Gerard.